guess what I get to go do? I get to go love people wherever I go because I'm so full of his love that I have it to give away for free and I don't need anything back. Hello and welcome to the One Heart Podcast sponsored by One Heart, One Light. One Heart, One Light is an authentic, diverse community of men and women who have a background with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We choose to love and be loved unapologetically. At One Heart, One Light, we teach unique tools to apply Christ's atonement, and we are a bridge to becoming one with self, others, and God. As we like to say, One Heart, One Light exists to empower individuals to become one by reminding them of their wholeness. Come and be one with us. Today our guest is Jeremy Morris. Jeremy is a husband, a father, and a son. He's a co-founder of Wild Courage and the host of the Wild Courage podcast. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thank you. I'm excited to talk to you. I, I've been impressed with, with the work you're doing, with uh, the organization you're creating, and the way you're changing men's hearts. And, and I will admit, I don't know a ton about, you know, I've not, not stood in the circle of Wild Courage, but, but my brother has. I've seen the change in him. Um, and just, just meeting you, I've seen the change in me. And uh, I want to talk today about obviously your story, the the power that you're putting in the story, in vulnerability, how you're seeing that change lives, and and obviously want to get into your walk with God. That is impressive to me. So, um, with all that said, I guess where where would you like to start in in your story, so we can understand where you're coming from? Um, well. Thanks for having me on. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, and I'm, I'm humbled by the opportunity. Um, yeah, well, my story, first off, just how we kind of know each other is uh, in 1993 or four, maybe I worked in Wyoming taking wilderness pack trips with your brother, Greg. And so it was, it was a special treat. Um, and that, you know, Greg and I've been close forever. He's one of my best friends. And when he said you were in town a couple of weeks ago, if we wanted to grab lunch, that's kind of how this all came to be. So I'm super stoked to get to be on here with you and share a little time together. But um, I'll kind of get through uh, the 40,000 foot view of my story for time's sake. But um, I was born and raised in Idaho um, for most of my life. Um, bounced around a bunch. Uh, my dad was a working cowboy, so we we traveled. We moved around a lot from like kindergarten until I was in high school. I never really went to the same school for two years in a row. Wow. Um, so I got to live all over. And um, my parents divorced when I was like five or six, and I went with my dad, which was somewhat unusual. Usually, you know, the kiddos go with mom, um, and my little sister went with my mom, and I went with my dad. And we moved away and um, kind of had, you know, the, the, the crazy thing about growing up is when you're growing up in it, you just, it's life, sure. right? There's no retrospective aspect of growing up. It's right. just, this is life. I um, thought there was parts of it that sucked and were hard, but I thought, well, this is, you just don't have anything to compare it against. Right. Sure. So um Graduated from high school, moved to Wyoming, and uh, I grew up in a 
in a religious home. Um, we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday nights. And that didn't count any youth group activities. That was right. just straight up church service. Um, so I had that foundation growing up. Um, never really partied or anything in high school much till maybe a little bit at the end. Um, because of the, that was, you know, not something you did in my house and there was strict curfews and whatnot. But once I moved out of the house and, um, moved to Wyoming and started rodeoing and all that and being around that, um, just started partying a little bit and, you know, all that. And, um, again, the, the, the short version of this story is, is that continued and increased in my life. And my friends started kind of growing up and getting married to your brother included in that. And, and I started to have hang out with younger kids that wanted to party all night, you know, and I just felt, and I moved every six months. So I'd live in Wyoming in the summer and I'd moved to Arizona in the winter. And I just was kind of on the run. And I, I knew that deep, deep down there was something I was running from, but it was, it was something so scary to me and the stakes were so high that the, the only reasonable thing I could do was continue on with my lifestyle of living life on the run as I would classify it. Right. Um, lots of girlfriends every six months, having another girlfriend or two. And then I start, you know, I turned 30 and everybody's moved on with their lives. And here I am still doing the bounce around thing. Um, eventually got a, a year round job and got, and, and got, got married. Um, the drinking escalated as I got older. Um, I got, I got some DUIs. Um, and back then it didn't slow you down a whole lot. It's like a little bit of jail time and you might lose your license for a minute, but you know, it wasn't as big as of a deal as it is now, as far as ramifications with the law. Um, and I compiled three of those by the time I was 30. Um, so there was always, I was always on the line. I was always on the verge of being in trouble, but, um, I always kept a job, always worked hard. People liked me. So I never, I never lost a job. I never got fired for drinking. I never, never, the stakes weren't that high, um, until I got married. And, um, married a wonderful gal who also was raised in the church. And so we started, I started going back to church after a 10, 12 year hiatus from my faith and just kind of living on the run. And, and sometimes a good woman is what it takes to kind of get your life back on track. And that certainly was the case for me. Um, but that was really, I think I got married when I was 34, um, and the the drinking turned into lying about drinking. And ultimately, I finally was faced with why I was on the run, which was me coming to terms with my childhood, which involved a lot of sexual abuse um, and physical and emotional abuse from a stepmom. My dad was married four times while I was in the house. Um, But coming to terms with the sexual abuse and the nature of 
the abuse wasn't just one time. Um, I think had it been one time, it maybe I would have said something or thought something differently, but it happened over a period of years, a lot by different people, um, by both sexes too. So it wasn't just like a one-time thing. It was babysitters and people that were, uh, in charge of me, I'll say, um, I, 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 I purposely want to be vague here for some, for, for part of my story, but, um, so yeah, it, it created, uh, a lot of pain, obviously that I was terrified that if anybody ever found out, you know, the gigs up and it was weird because I never didn't feel love growing up ever, not once. And so you, when you think of abuse and especially sexual abuse, it's like you think about people that live under bridges or live in broken homes and you know what I mean? Like sure. in the ghetto or whatever. And, and, and it's simply not the case as I found out now that I've been open with my story, it, it, it's really unbelievable the amount of men that feel safe to talk to me about their sexual abuse growing up too. And I can't tell you how many times I've been the first person that they've told, which is crazy humbling to me. So what I hear you saying is there's a lot of men who have experienced that, but, but have never felt safe. Well, shame, man. Yeah. Now here's the the shame of it. Yeah. The, The stakes are too high. And especially the nature of which some of the things that I did, right. Or was, I had to do. Sure. Um, and it was just a weird time of moving around a lot and needing friends and needing acceptance. Like, oh wait, I have to do this, and then we can go ride our bikes. Wow. Oh, okay. That's what I. That's what needs to happen before we can go be friends. Or and these were always older people, right? So, sure. I guess predators we could say, and and also in my journey, I've come to realize that these people came from very broken, tragic backgrounds themselves. Right. So there's tons of grace and forgiveness, but can I ask a quick clarifier? You you talked about men sharing their stories. The stakes are too high. Um, Let's dig into that just a little bit because on on one hand, yes, I can, I can see that. I I, I believe I can kind of relate in in different ways, but um, how much of that is belief versus versus reality i guess that's that's what i wanted to poke into a little bit the the crazy thing about vulnerability is the fear of being known sure is what keeps us from our from the truth right and if the truth sets us free the the scariest thing that we can do is be vulnerable right like men climb mountains the things we can put our bodies through and we can go to the moon and invent. I mean, it's crazy what we're capable of and ride bulls, all the scary things of skydiving and wingsuits. But the scariest thing for men is vulnerability. And on my podcast, I've interviewed dudes that do crazy, crazy things. And vulnerability is the scariest thing with the stakes being so high because if you really knew me, there's no way you would like me. Sure. If you really knew what's inside of me, what I've done or what's been done to me, there is no way that I'm capable 
of receiving love from you or acceptance. That's I, in 12 years of being on this journey, that's what I've narrowed it down to. I believe is the intimacy into me. You see we don't want it because if you knew, if you only knew what I've done, right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because even though, you know, I haven't experienced a lot of those things. I have felt as, as I've started my own journey of, of being open, of being vulnerable, the, the same, the same fear, right? If you knew, if my wife knew, if, and, and, you know, it could be something that the, to many people, it, it seems a lot, that's stupid. That's not even a big deal, but it's, it's right go. here. It's the perception. It's this, the, the fear lives there. It's real. It is real. And what, what I'm finding and, and what I found for myself and what we're doing with wild courage is what the opposite is true. When I first told my wife, my story, it just, it's the opposite of what you would think. And when I told, started telling my story to very selective people, cause the stakes were too high. Sure. It's met with nothing but compassion and love. And the healing, that's where the healing is. Sure. Wait, I'm, I, wait, I'm capable of love. I'm worthy of love. But even after all these things that I've happened to me and I've done, I'm, you're going to wait. It like seems too good to be true. Sure. And then when you have a group of people, like I've been so blessed with that just continually show up in the midst of the brokenness and pain. And, and I want to say, something I want to back up a little bit and circle back. I've experienced a lot of trauma in my life. Here's what I've learned about trauma is it's relative. Sure. What I don't want ever to happen is someone to think, well, I didn't have what happened to you. So I'll just, my, my deal isn't that big of a deal. I don't even want to talk about it. And I've had that happen. That's why I always want to clarify you, your trauma is equally <laughs> as painful as mine. Sure. It's just relative. And so I, I don't, I, I, I always want to encourage people like, don't let, don't let somebody else's trauma negate you from being vulnerable and open and honest with yours. Because a lot of dudes that I run with and know have so much father wounds from a dad who didn't beat him up who wasn't a drunk sure. and who was home every night and they, and, and they're still walking out as much trauma as, as I experienced. So I, I just wanted to circle back. Yeah, and no, thank you. Thank you. Give I, everyone I, permission to look at it in, in that way. Yeah. I, I think that, um, that, that definitely resonates with me because I had a great dad and he was always there and we, you know, and yet I took away messages within myself that, that I wasn't as good or as loved or as worthy of love as my brothers, because they had certain gifts that I, I didn't feel like I had. And so that was, exactly. that was purely me taking on that message. But until I was able to confront it and, and come up, you know, and, and talk about it and, and, you know, process through it, I, I was still just damaged and <laughs> beating up myself really with these stories that I had kind of concocted the meaning I had put yeah. out there. Exactly. Okay. So it's all a journey and, and it's, and it's, it's not a comparison. It's not a competition. 
Sure. It's not a testimony war. Like right. I've been through this. It doesn't matter. It's all relative. Right. So, yeah. And, and so anyway, I, I, I first was vulnerable with my wife and it kind of blurted out because I came home drunk and she's like, am I not enough for you? And I kind of was like, it just, it, it, it just had been 36 years of it percolating or well, not that long. That's how old I was when I, it sure. kind of slipped out. And then uh, I didn't want to talk about it. Um, and I went to some counseling and I, I couldn't go there um, with a pastor. And so I just kept the drinking up and, you know, that it got worse. And to the point where my wife, uh, we separated, she left, moved out. Um, and I went, we were living in Arizona. I went to Wyoming to shoe some horses for the summer and work and just get away and, and, and had gotten sober for a few months and then something happened. Right. And I couldn't maintain it. And the whole time I'm like, for, for over a year, I'm laying on the couch every night when my wife's in bed and I'm crying, like, God, take this from me. Like, I, I'm not, I'm not, my wife and ours intimacy is not good. It's sure. gone. I'm making a mess of my life. Like, I need you to take this from me. Um, it's not affecting my job, but it is affecting my job because it's affecting everything about me. Sure. And I'm like, I'm maintaining, I'm drinking a bottle of vodka every day, starting early in the morning and just kind of maintaining all day. And I had a high profile job. And so I was highly functioning. But at night, I would just literally like lay on my couch and cry, God, take this from me. It's ruining right. my life. Right. And he didn't. So back to the story, go to Jack, go back to Wyoming for the summer. Something tips me over, start drinking again. And in 48 hours, I got two DUIs. I got, I went to Montana for the weekend, got pulled over and got a DUI. Then was coming back to Wyoming. Like my life's over, right? Like now I'm really in trouble. And got another one like two miles into Wyoming. Wow. And in Wyoming, they don't let you out of Wyoming until you see a judge, right? So I'm in jail contemplating my life. And now the the prosecuting attorney's like, now DUIs are a much bigger deal than my first one in 1992, right? Right. And she's like, oh, you, this is... She didn't know about the Montana one yet because it was just the day before. But she's like, this is your fourth offense. Like, you're in a lot of trouble. We're coming after you for this. Like, yeah, and I had a horse trailer on. Mm-hmm. So then it changes, like, the, the damage you could do, right? So I'm sitting in jail. And something clicked. I started thinking about my son. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm really not going to be the kind of dad that I'd always dreamed about being sure and my prayer changed from God take this from me for me I just remember like pulling on heaven like as one father to another father it's beautiful I surrender I, I can't be the dad that I feel like I'm created to be and I can't do this anymore. Will you show up? Will you show up for me? 
and I'm trying out in this jail cell full of, you know, there's standing room only. And when my prayer changed from, I want out of my circumstances to God, I don't want to, I don't want to be a dad that's not around. I, I should be dead. Sure. And I literally felt an exchange that day. Um, as much as I'd been drinking, I should have went into detox. And I, I don't care about religion, theology, when it comes to this stuff. All I know is nobody can take away my experience, right? Sure. Just like nobody can take away yours. God took it from me that day. Wow. He took alcoholism from me. Um, and it left. I've, I've never went into any detox withdrawals. Um, I've never found myself sitting outside of a liquor store. Like I had a million times before pounding on the steering wheel, screaming at God to take this from me. Right. Um, I've never had any dreams about alcohol. I've, it, it was, it's been gone. And that's been 12 and a half, 13 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Now that was gone, but the mess I had made, I had to deal with. Sure. And telling what, my, what, sorry, what, sorry, but what, what yeah. about the pain you were running from? How, how did that start to shift? Because the, the alcoholism was only a, an avoidance of, I don't want to deal with all this other stuff. Right. Well, it, it was the beginning of that, right? Because what happens is, and it's not alcohol for everyone, right? It can sure. be work. It can be food. It can be porn. It can be whatever we're suppressing our emotions with. And sure. for me, it, the, that tool was alcohol. Um, and so once that was gone, it was like no more hiding sure. because that's all we're doing is, is we're, we're avoiding pain. Right. So when we're, our coping mechanisms are to avoid pain, right. whatever that pain may be. And the invitation really is, is to let's go figure out what that pain really is because the drinking was, was just an avoidance mechanism, sure. right? It was, right. it was, it wasn't the root cause of why I drank. It's like you can, and I could white knuckle it for a month or two sure. so that, so that my wife maybe would have sex with me. And like, I could get out of my circumstances of, you know what I mean? Like, sure, sure. it's all BS. And then you'd be and back. So, in it. Right. Yeah. Just avoiding the pain. So it was starting to, I couldn't avoid it anymore. So the drinking went away. Then I got super depressed and was suicidal. I, I never put a gun in my mouth when I was drinking. Sure. Why sure. would I? Right. It was after. I quit drinking, which you would think, oh, that's the beautiful part of the story. It's the beginning part of the story, but it wasn't the pretty part. Sure. Now I got to face the mess I'd made in my life and all my relationships. And when you're an alcoholic, when you're an addict, you're a liar, right? Sure. And you're at the root of it. You're super selfish. So I had made a mess and everybody believed and trusted in me. And I had a, a three-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old son and a daughter um, who was older, who lived in Montana. And I was like, I'm the worst, like the worst, like I, there's the shame just sure. 
And so I would contemplate that. I would go between reading my Bible, reading Psalms, and putting a gun in my mouth. Like that was my nightly routine. I couldn't leave the county because I had to go into the sheriff's office and blow every morning for like 10 days right. before my second court day, right? So I was just like in this friction of like hope and it's not worth it. I can't do it. it I can't get out of it. And I, that's when I really just started believing God for his word. And like Psalms 32, five, like I confessed all my sins to you and you forgave me. Sure. And so I just started going down that road and I hated myself so badly that I would just get in my Bible and I would look and find and bookmark all the places where he would call me his beloved. Wow. And you started to believe it. It kept me alive. Yeah. It kept me alive long enough for me to get some help. Um, and then I had to, it was, it's such a blessing. I, I just encourage people so much that when they're going through the hard stuff to lean into it, because that's, man, that's where all the good stuff happens. Sure. That's where all the healing and growth happens. So because of the mess I'd made and all the trouble I'd gotten into, I had to go to, I had to go to AA for two years. I had to do all this counseling. I had to do outpatient counseling and rehab, even though I, I, I never, I knew I was never drinking and right. Sure. But God just started putting people in my life. And in all, I was just surrounded by it because I had to. Sure. And I had friends that were further down the road than me that came alongside me. Friends. Um, that you didn't that, know before. They just started showing up in your life saying, hey, I've, I've been there. Well, it, or some that, had, that were in my life, but now that were maybe five years sober and that I used to run with, and then they quit running with me because they got sober, right? Sure. And so just having that community of people that, and my wife left me, dude, like it, like she bought a house on her own and moved out. Wow. We were separated for like three and a half, four years. Wow. Like, and, and, and most people don't make it through that. That's a and, long time to be separated and not move on and do something different. And neither one of us ever went on one date or had one inappropriate wow. phone call. Like God just gave, I look back at, in my, at our story and there's just so much grace all over it. Sure. Like the fact that neither one of us ever were like, okay, maybe there's this guy at work or this gal I met or like, it never happened. Like just grace upon grace. Right. Yeah. Uh, in that time of me going through my beginning stages of my healing journey. And it was freaking hard, dude, because my wife and my son are living a few miles away. And I'm like, this is what my life is. Sure. Like I burned a lot of bridges. Right. And so the shame was heavy. Sure. The shame was heavy. And the, the church I was going to, the pastor spent a year, one year, every Sunday and Wednesday night talking about grace and 
teaching on grace. And it was that um, emergent of grace for that time that that's just what I needed. Because the antidote to shame is like hope, grace, love, acceptance, forgiveness, all those things that that was really understanding what happened with Christ on the cross. Right. Like the price that was paid to put us in right relationship with the father that he's not mad at me. Right. Now there's a lot of people that I have to clean up my mess with, but if we can get to the core of everybody's just feels like God bummed out at them. Right. Sure. Like so much of us of our time is spent, thinking God, because of what I've done, we can't get our minds around this grace because it is scandalous. It does feel good, too good to be true, but it was for not. If we don't, what what the price he paid on the cross was for not like he came to defeat the works of the, the, the evil one. Sure. And, and to put us in right relationship with the father. And so our identity has become, something that it was never created for us to be that we got to work for it. Right. Because like you talked about earlier, a little bit, we're so preconditioned by our earthly fathers. Sure. Hey, good job at that sports game. I'm really proud of you. Way to go. Oh, okay. So if I do good, I get the attaboys and the accolades that we're all as young boys striving for. Sure. We want to be known and seen and loved by our dads and to told and to be told we have what it takes, right? Sure. So what I found working with spending a lot of time with dudes and brokenness and pain and in my own story is so much of it's really hard to look at a heavenly father much differently than we've experienced our own earthly father. Absolutely. So oftentimes I've found that the story really starts with, tell me about your relationship with your dad. Yeah. You know, and working through some of those things, because it's a lens that we're looking at God at through these lenses that we're not, we're, we're never supposed to. And that's not how he's viewing us back. Sure. I, and you say not supposed to, I, I, I guess I'm just going to push on that a little bit because I think it's, it's part of the fall, right? Part of coming to earth and just experiencing this so we can see Christ as he is. So we can learn to prize the, the good, you know, the, the sweet versus the bitter. So I, I think it's just part of the journey. It's like, it's where we start, but we need to raise our sights beyond that and say, oh yeah, yeah, that's not, that's not how I need to view God. And it's, it's, it's all a learning process. And, and to borrow your phrase, you're right on time. I mean, I think as a, as a child, when I was viewing God through my dad lens, I needed to do that so I could realize just how wrong of a lens that was. That's my thought on that. Yeah, it's, it, it is a journey. It is a process. But the goal is, for me, is how healthy and whole can I get? Sure. And understanding that I'm in right relationship with the father, because then I can be so filled up by his love. Guess what starts falling away? My fear of man. Sure. Unrealistic expectations I put on myself. 
my shame, my fear, because there is no fear in love. And if he's perfect sure. love and I'm full of his perfect love, guess what I have? I like to call overflow. Love it. Guess what I get to go do? I get to go love people wherever I go because I'm so full of his love sure. that I have it to give away I love for it. free and I don't need anything back. It's like, what, what does unconditional love look like? To me, it looks like I want to be so knowing in my identity of, of in Christ and who I am that I'm so looking at this father and, re- and able to receive his love so that I can go give it away with no strings. Sure. Because if we're to represent Christ, that's what being Christian is, right? Sure. To try to repre- represent who he is. It's if he is love, that's what we're called to be. Right. Like when Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven, the disciples are like, Jesus, how will they know we were your disciples? Remember, there's no yeah. social media. There's no any way for the people to know. And, and, and it, 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 it wrecks me his answer sure. by how well you love one another. Like that's how they'll know that we were with the King. Yeah. So if I can get my life sorted out and get my traumas worked through and become healthy and whole, then I, I can learn how to fight for my marriage. Sure. I can learn how to be a better father and friend and brother and go give it away. Sure. And th- I feel like that's the biggest impact that we can make in our communities and our sphere of influence. And that, that's, that's how I believe we turn this thing around. And when I mean this thing, I mean like the state of our, the culture of our country. Of humanity. Sure. Sure. It's Mankind. not voting. Right. Right. Agreed. It's not going to be voting. It's going to be, how can I give someone hope and how can I show my kids, my sons, my daughter, what it looks like to fight for marriage Sure. when it's hard and it sucks and you don't feel like it? How can I show up for them as a dad when I'm wore out and I don't feel like it? Sure. That's how we turn it around. Right. What I hear you saying is they have to see us wading into our weakness, wading into the things that where we really need God. We need his mercy, his grace, his guidance, his, and, and having the courage and the faith to just show up in your own life. Uh, you know, my, my story is very That's different, it. but, but for me, it was more about, oh, I'm just going to be perfect. I'm just going to do it all perfect. And then I don't, I don't have to worry about all this other stuff. Well, that breaks down. <laughs> catches really, up with you too. Really fast. Yeah. You can only fake it so long. Um, and uh, so, so to your point, I just wanted to emphasize that, um, that when my kids can see that, Hey, I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect dad. And I, I totally screwed up and I'm sorry. You know, I'm willing to go into that with them. That gives them the courage to say, Hey, I can do the same. I can show up in my life. I can be real, I can be authentic. Absolutely. We got to, we got to model realness, authenticity, not, not the fake of, Oh, just be perfect. And then you, then you got it all solved. Well, yeah. And have the humility to clean up your messes. Sure. I spend more time apologizing to my little sons and cleaning up my messes and not just, Oh, I'm sorry. But like, Hey, the way I talked to you yesterday about how you did this or that, or I asked you to do it and you didn't do it. I, I didn't communicate that to you well. And I'm sorry that yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I made you feel small 
in that yeah. in that space and time like there's just the the humility is the pathway and and i mean you look at what jesus did for the church which is his bride right sure is he got low that's the model the lowest so the low, low that he yeah. died for yeah. her right so whenever i feel pride rising up in me in any area i'm like what well, what's the model so because we're talking about modeling that's what he did so that's what i need to do is get low which is humility and man i i just there's so much fruit in bringing humility to the, the situation and getting low and not needing to be right. Like I, I would, I would rather choose my wife and my kid's heart over my need to be right about something. Absolutely. Beautiful. And, and I, I, I did want to kind of circle back to vulnerability and what we're finding in wild courage. Cause we meet three times a month in my barn and it's just kind of a safe place for guys to be vulnerable and what I found in my story is a few years ago, I told my story, the two hour version on a podcast and it was scary as hell, dude. Sure. And the fruit of it, what it does is it gives guys permission absolutely, to be vulnerable and tell their story. And I'm not kidding. It, it's, it's so engaging for someone to go first that you just feel like, did he just say, Oh, then maybe it's okay that if I tell my story and right. I'm just finding how, how healing it was for me to be vulnerable with, with my past and, and the sexual abuse stuff, especially because sure. women have done such a much better, such a good job with being brave in that area. But right. our men, our prides, like, again, the stakes are too high. Sure. Like, sure. And it usually involves family members, which gets messy, right? So we're told, we're taught, like, to be a man, you just got to endure things, which is true. And we're so afraid of blowing up a family dynamic because of what somebody did to us. Sure. And it's, I get it. I get, I get the stakes are high. I can't imagine had I not, I'd, I'd be dead. It would have, my secrets would have killed me. Sure. Sure. I was on the path. You have to, you have to have a lot of guardian angels to get five DUIs. You know how much, and I was really good at drinking and driving. You know <laughs> sure. what I mean? Like I'd wake up in the morning and come out and like my rearview mirror on my truck would be dangling down where I'd hit a tree or railroad or a telephone pole. So uh, it, the stakes are high, but they're worth it Sure. to be vulnerable, to be brave, to tell your story. Um, and I'm not saying go blab it out to everybody. I'm saying, crawl, walk, run, right? Like sure. find somebody you trust, take a big, huge chance, be courageous and, and be open and vulnerable. And I promise you two things, the healing you'll receive from it is paramount for yourself. Sure. The other thing is, is you will not believe how it's received by the person you choose to tell it to. Sure. You will feel more loved in that space of the biggest fear you ever thought not being true. And it kind of really, for me, has set a pattern of things that now I'm just not, a, I'm, I'm, my courage is amplified. Right. 
Right. Cause I'm not living in fear about everything. Well, and, and yeah, you're not, it doesn't matter what somebody else thinks of you, right? You're, you're okay with you to the point that I don't care what somebody else thinks of me. Cause I'm, I'm good. You know? Well, you, well, uh, yeah, we, the Bible says that we're supposed to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, which to me just says you can't give away what you don't have. Sure. So I, I meet with guys a lot and I'm like, man, I just, I want to love people and I want to help people and minister to people. And, and I'm like, dude, you don't even like yourself yet. Right. Like it's all noble and it's good. And I get it. I get it. But until you go on a journey of loving yourself and Hey, I'm not talking about in the prideful, selfish sure. ways. Right. Sure. I'm talking in the way of like, I'm made in the image of God. Sure. And the price that he sent his son to pay for me, how dare I not receive his love and be filled with it and think I'm worth it. Right. And, and a lot of people are uncomfortable with that language. Well, I think so. So a friend of mine in particular has, has issues with self-love and, 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 and I, I'm like, I, I get it right there. There are ways, but, but to me, it's, self-acceptance, accepting myself as God made me to be and, and loving me for who I am is not the same as thinking, you know, oh, I'm, I'm better than everybody else. You know, there's, but, but just accepting, accepting the gift that God has given me of myself and being good with that is something that, that I struggled with for years. So yeah, it was for me coming to love and just accept myself is, is huge gift. Huge blessing. It's hard. Oh my gosh. It's hard when you've made messes that involve other people. It's really hard to get over what you just said. Sure. It's really hard to get to a place of like, but that's why grace is so important, man. Of like, he loves me in the process that I am and where I'm at. He's not calling me to stay here. So sure. there is sure. this partnership with moving forward. And, but man, he's, he's, he loves me right here, right now. And if he does, that's good enough for me. And I really, it was a really hard journey because of the mess I made with, with the people closest to me to find love for myself. Yeah. But I maintain the fact that, and I'll say it again, you can't give away what you don't have. You just Absolutely. can't. Yeah. It's not possible. So to love your wife and love your kids and and I get it. You can white knuckle things for a while, but to truly give them what they need, the same thing that we need from our dads, right? Love Absolutely. and acceptance yeah. as unconditionally as human possible. I, I can't give it if I don't have it for myself. Totally agree. Neither can you and neither can anyone else. So some might say, well, it's selfish to go on this journey, right? Because this is what, what we're on. This is what we're talking about is this journey of what does a masculine uh, life journey look like in today's age? And it looks like contending for yourself to become the man that you were created to be sure. full of hope and love to, to get so much of it that you can go give it away. But it starts, you still got to show up for your family. I'm not saying that people think that like they got to detach to go on this solo journey. And it's like, no, you no. still got to show up for, for your wife yep. and your kids. But I'm talking about setting aside time to go on the journey and say yes to this process 
of becoming who you were supposed to be, created to be, so that you can go change the world. And it starts with your marriage. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love it. And um, in the interest of time, I do need to cut us short. But what yeah. I'd love to do is maybe pick this up for part two. Talk about sure. your healing journey. Talk about Wild Courage, what you're creating. And um, Jeremy, thank you so much. This is it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and, it, and uh, can I give a little shout out to our, our website is thewildcourage.life. Absolutely. Yep. Say it, say it one and more time. And thewildcourage.life is our website. Um, and also our podcast is the World Wild Courage podcast, which you can find on all Apple and Spotify and all the, all the places. So go check it out. And it's just uh, redemption stories guys that I've met that have these super crazy redemption stories that they were going this way and in this kind of trouble. And then by God, right. So that's awesome. Uh, Redemption is real. We need to hear those stories. So thank you for 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 all of that. Thanks for all you're doing. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Matt. I appreciate it. And uh, I love what you're doing with one heart, one light. Keep going, brother. You, you have what it takes, man. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate you being here. Take care. You bet. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, bye. Thanks again for listening to the One Heart Podcast. Go ahead and subscribe and check us out online at oneheartonelight.org.